from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. Today, we've got a dystopian adventure by Gage Greenwood called Winter's Myths. After a disease ravages his underground community, Winter escapes with his two daughters to the upper world, a place called Earth. Winter fears what he will find on Earth, but he is surprised to find the planet has largely been abandoned. As he and his daughter struggle to survive and come face to face with deadly foes, Winter tells his children's stories and legends as a way to make sense of their new surroundings. In Winter's world, we are the mythology. We are the legends. We are the threat. Gage Greenwood has been an actor, comedian, podcaster, YouTuber, and even the vice president of an escape room company. He's a big fan of comic books, horror movies, and depressing music that fills him with existential dread. He lives in New England with his girlfriend and son, and he spends his time hiking, writing, and decorating for various holidays. And now a sample of Winter's Myths, episode one. In the beginning, darkness. A big bang. Winter's shoulder slammed into the concrete slab once more, and with a low crunch the slab separated from the wall. Run, his mother had said. Winter's daughters, violin and candlestick, caught their breath behind him. Uneven, shivery breaths. Winter gripped the concrete, jamming his fingers into divots wherever he could find them. Pulling, grunting. His shoulders throbbed. His heart punched. Run. Run to where? What existed outside their world other than death? He dug his feet into the soft gravel, heaved, and the concrete moaned as it opened its mouth. A raging, tumbling noise like an eternal thunder pushed through the narrow opening, and the whiteness, pouring in, swallowing everything. He held a scream as it bleached his eyes. On the first day, light. It blinded them, brutal light. Winter dropped his bag and put one hand over his eyes. With his other hand, he slashed around himself, searching for his daughters. He gripped an arm, candlesticks. He knew by the small size. He rattled his fingertips against her skin, speaking in rapid taps. They called it the language of fear, used when silence was necessary. Usually, they communicated this way by tapping their fingers against their own hips, the receiver of the conversation reading the taps from a distance. But now, blinded, Winter tapped roughly against Candlestick's flesh, ensuring she knew what he was saying. Grab your sister's hand, and with the other, grab the back of my shirt. Tell her to do the same. Do not let go. Do not let go. Do not let go. He tapped the last sentence over and over until she responded. Pinky, long tap. Pinky, long tap. Okay, okay. The rough, thunderous noise continued to roar in front of him, and without sight, he could only presume what caused it. All the horror stories he'd been told as a child came flooding back into his mind. At seven years old, Winter had snuck to the long hall leading to the cement slab, and just as he reached it, his mother had grabbed him, brought him into her arms, squeezing him into her chest. Do not go near here. Everything outside of that door is pain or worse. The only thing the upper world does is kill. Winter separated his fingers, allowing the light to hit his eyes. He needed them to adjust quickly. 
who knew what threats approached, masked by fiery light and belching thunder. He stepped forward and back again, unwilling to exit without his senses. Slowly, the surroundings outside the slab took form, blurring into shapes and outlines, jutting stones. His feet left the safety of their home, the only place they'd ever known, and entered the world above, the place of demons. Earth. He pressed his palms against the wall of stones, using it as a guide. Violin's hands left his shirt, and then Candlestick's hands released too. Violin! He tapped against his hip, fingertips cracking from the force. The noise surrounded him, powerful crashes. He'd never heard such a loud sound, so deep and angry it hurt his brain. He forgot the taps and screamed, Violin! Candlestick! Daddy, here! Violin yelled. Her voice came from the same place the volatile sound did. He turned towards it, still unable to make it out, but he saw his daughters, their silhouettes bent low, examining something. Daddy, she yelled louder. Do not talk out loud, he shouted with the same weight in his voice that she had used. His eyes continued to adjust as he approached them, outlines turning into colorful blobs, which grew more to find the closer he came. Okay, before we talk to our author, let's talk about pro writing aid. So one of the things that I like to use is an echoes check. So it highlights any word and phrases that you've repeated within a short space of the writing. So, you know, you don't want your, your writing to sound repetitive. So you can try and think of another word to say. So it will tell you close repeats. So often, you know, especially when we're drafting, we just are kind of moving the story along and we just have the same word stuck in our head. And sometimes you can just use a word that's even a little bit of an odd word uh, over and over. So like at one point, at one point, and you know, you just keep kind of doing that. I put it in my pocket and I put it in my pocket and, and that happens to me all the time when I'm first drafting pro writing aid catches those. And it's like, dude, change up your words. I don't mm -hmm. know why I said dude, but it tells me to change up my words and, you know, and um, it'll give you some suggestions that don't sound so thesaurus-y. So you're not writing a word salad. You want to know, you want to know what my biggest problem is? Yes. All of my damn characters shrug. Oh. Constantly. They're just shruggers. What's yes. happening with their shoulders? Why do they Shrug. keep moving up and down? That's my problem. I constantly, my characters are shrugging. Uh, they smiling. are looking. Mine are looking. shrugging and smiling and looking. Mine look. They just look. What look. are they looking at? I don't even know anymore. They're just doing things. They're looking this way. They're shrugging. They're basically like weird little puppets on strings. <laughs> and sometimes they shouldn't be. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, if you want to take a look and see where you are just using the same things over and over close together, prowritingaid.com. Use our discount code, Serial20, get 20% off. Exactly. All right. Let's Party. Our author. Whoop. Okay. So we have a family surviving in a post-apocalyptic world with a storytelling dad. What inspired you to write this serial? Um, wow, that is a, a loaded question. Um, <laughs> cause a lot of things did, but ultimately it was, um, where I was working at the time, it was like an hour away. And, and every day on my way into work, I would listen to audiobooks, and I was listening to, um, Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman. <clears throat> and, uh, Excellent. and I started thinking about what a mythology would look like in our world. If somebody came here for the first time, saw cars and TVs and all this stuff and tried to create the story behind it all. Um, but I didn't know where to go with it. I, I was thinking, do I make aliens? Do I make this something like that? 
Um, and then about a year later, I just um, thought about this, this idea of this father and his two daughters traveling in an empty world. And I was like, oh, wait, that goes with my old idea. And I kind of just merged the two. I love that. I love when two ideas kind of melt together and you get a new story. And apparently this one has mythology about uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, it does indeed. It does have Kevin Bacon and uh, Abe Lincoln, the ice giant. <laughs> Abe Lincoln, the ice giant. So with all of this mythology, which character are you excited for readers to read about and why? Um, in the main part, it's Violin, who's uh, the older daughter. Um, I, I've always said that even though it's called Winter's Myths, it's going to be more her tale because she's someone who she's she's old enough to have grown up in this underground um, community where they just are trained to survive all the time and hate humanity um, and also old enough to question that, <laughs> to 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 question that belief system. And then she has to go to Earth and and gets to see firsthand and make those decisions herself. So it's really a coming of age story for her. Um, so she's the character I'm most excited about in the main world in the, um, in the mythology world, I guess I'm going to have to say Kevin Bacon because the person I'm really most excited about hasn't come out yet. And I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> <laughs> but there's more celebrities to come. Let's say. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll accept Kevin Bacon for now. Um, what are some of your favorite dystopian books or movies that you draw inspiration from? It's hard not to say The Road. Um, I, I love The Road. It was it's such a such a great book. Um, I and I like the movie as well. Um, but I love dystopian in general, and I I like a lot of YA dystopian. Um, I don't know why, but I do. Like I, I like the Hunger Games. I like I like all of them. Where it's just this sort of new world built off the old world um and taking those sort of critiques from our real world and 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 transferring them into uh what could happen <laughs> yeah i'm a fan of that too so norse mythology what kind of research did you have to do for your serial oh a lot actually the biggest thing i had to research was um was the prepper world since I have this group that grew up underground. Um, how did they survive? I still haven't quite answered how they got their, um, their vitamins from lack of sun. Uh, I'm going to have to figure that out. Uh, but yeah, it, it just so happens that my brother is a big prepper. So he was a good resource for me and he connected me with a lot of, a lot of websites and, um, in, in this world where they live underground, they've sort of mastered electricity um to a degree where they're better at it than we are so i was able to use some fiction with that but i didn't want to make it so ludicrous that it couldn't be based off reality so i had to learn a lot about electricity um in terms of mythology i've just i've always been a fan of mythology so i read a lot of um different different myths from different cultures and stuff and i kind of just pluck little things and and throw them into the kevin bacon world <laughs> 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 Fantastic. So did you do a bunker visit for this cereal? <laughs> did your brother no, have a I bunker? Want to. I, I want it so bad. I want to build a bunker, not because I have any kind of prepper fear, but just because I think it would be cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. Um, but you also have this, this fear language that is spoken through forms of tapping. Um, I'm curious, how did you go about developing that? And what was that process? What did that look like? Oh, that's interesting. Um, 
I, I played with that a lot because um, I really want it to be a developed language. Um, so basically what it is, is they tap on their hips um, and the other person can see what they're, they're saying through those taps. Uh, so that way they don't have to speak out loud when there's a reason to, you know, there's a threat nearby. Um, so I created, I have pages of words and how you would tap them. Um, but I also didn't want to convey the tapping language in, in like, uh, just the keywords. So I, I make the full sentences out of it. Um, and hopefully the reader understands that, you know, maybe the, uh, and the weren't supposed to be there, <laughs> but, uh, um, but I, yeah, I actually wrote out pages of it. Um, and I'm going to, at certain points, throw in a part where somebody taps something and I don't say what they said, but, uh, an astute reader will remember from before what it meant. Nice. And maybe somebody someday who's better at language will come up with like the, the Klingon dictionary of tapping. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the tap for victory then? <laughs> that one I don't have yet. <laughs> I don't have that one yet. You have to have Kapla if you're going to do Klingon. So speaking of your fear language and fear, you live in New England, which is the home of classic horror. How does that play into your serial? Um, it hasn't much yet. It does in almost everything else I write. <laughs> almost everything else. I actually created um, a fake city, well, town in Rhode Island called Tanner's Switch that's loosely based off Richmond, Rhode Island, which is a, um, a smaller town that um, they had a, a boat train accident many years ago. And there's a lot of train tracks that just don't get used now. So Tanner switch is sort of this community that used to be a bustling train stop community. That's since gone down. And I, I, I throw a lot of like um, economic situations into my, my horror um, <laughs> and just this, that small town feel. Um, and it, winter's myth does have Tanner switch in it, but because it's so, wide open and all over the place. It doesn't really stay put for very long. So what is one thing about this story that you want listeners to know or to be excited about? Everything connects. So while it seems that he's telling these out there stories that have no relevance to the main story, it, it all does. And it all comes back. And uh, hopefully it will shock a lot of readers when things start pulling together. Um, and it's, it's got a lot of places to go still. <laughs> so have you had any participation uh, by audience or otherwise in your story that's shaped the way that it's developed? A little. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've gotten reader feedback, which has been really nice. Um, mostly uh, people just saying what they like about the series and, and things that they would like to see. And... Um, I've had a lot of questions about violin and candlestick that uh, I did plan to develop more later on, but because readers were so, so intrigued by these two characters, I had to give answers to that a lot sooner. Um, and I also, if, if you're a reader and you're, and you're listening to this and you want to give me some celebrities to throw in the story, maybe I'll make them into characters. So. <laughs> you were a vice president of an escape room. Tell us about that and if it plays uh, into your writing? Um, it very much does. Uh, yeah, so I, I was um, 
my, after my son was born, I, I was working part-time and I needed more work. So I picked up a second job at an escape room, just being the personality that introduced people to the games. And I got along so well with the owner of the company and, and was putting in so much side work with them that I ended up becoming the vice president within like a year. And we as a company expanded from one location with two games to multiple locations with multiple games. Um, and I, I got to help with, with all aspects of it from designing and puzzle making. And you have to, when you're to make a good escape room, it can't just be leading a person from one box to another. You have to unfold a story with that. Um, and that can be very challenging, especially if you're giving multiple people uh, different parts of the story and different parts of the room, because you also want that team base aspect of it. So you really have to learn how to say a lot while saying very little. I love that. And, you know, we, we talked to a lot of authors about um, role play games and how that develops, you know, writing skills. And I have to imagine writing escape room uh, stories would probably do the same thing. That's a lot of, a lot of creative work. So is there anything either in this serial or upcoming work that you haven't explored yet that you're planning to or wanting to? Yeah, there's a lot of things I've <laughs> explored. Um, <clears throat> with Winter's Myths, I really want to get to a place where there's rebuilding. Um, it, it's interesting because when I started writing, uh, I mean, I've been writing for decades, but when I really started putting together novels and working hard on my writing, I was at a place in my life where everything was very bleak. <laughs> I wrote from a very bleak perspective. And now I, I have, um, you know, my son and that, that sort of changed my perspective on, on life and it's much more hopeful. And this is, this is a bleak story to start, but I want it to get to hopeful places. Um, and I hope that that hope carries through throughout the story. So this is tangential to writing, but you have a YouTube channel. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about that and how that may or may not have influenced your writing? Yeah, it's the YouTube channel started off as something very different from what it is now. Um, and it directly influenced my writing because it started, um, you know, everyone was starting to go back to work from the pandemic and uh, where we were at with my with my family life we decided that it would be better for my family if I stayed home for a while instead of going back to the escape room um, to, to help raise my son. Um, because if it, my girlfriend works two jobs and she makes more money than I would ever make. So it just was, it was beneficial for me to, to stay home with him. So I made this YouTube channel where I kind of put a camera on myself and said, I'm giving myself a year to make some of my dreams come true or uh, you know, going back to the grind. Um, and one of those goals was to write and publish. And once that started uh, going well, the channel sort of veered more towards just being about writing. And I really wanted to take everything that I was learning and just put a camera on that so other people could learn with me as I'm not an experienced author. I'm a brand new to publishing and I'm going to talk to people who are experts and hopefully you can get from the conversation what I'm going to get from it. Sounds like kind of the same reason that we started this podcast. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I am going to start a second channel for my other goal, which is basically just like a health and wellness journey. I want to run a 5K in under 30 minutes. So that's the other goal. And I'm going to have a Gage Greenwood Runs channel. Oh, nice. Um, and then the, the third goal I pretty much gave up on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I was like, was sort of running 5K-ish before the weather changed. So maybe I'll have to sign up for that for accountability. <laughs> I know. 
I, uh, the weather certainly has hindered my, my, my running. <laughs> yeah. It's like this time of year, two months of the year. I'm like, I hate my life. But anyway, <laughs> as a final question, what do you like most about writing serial fiction? Oh, it's, it's, uh, you can get real wild with it. You know, when you're, when you're writing a book, there's a, there's a very stringent format you want to stick to. Um, but with serial fiction, you can really play around with it. And you, I think you can explore side characters a little more in depth. You can kind of give them their own episodes and, and have them go wild adventures. Uh, and especially with this series, I, I could just go so big with it. Um, I had originally started writing it um, for NaNoWriMo last year, or NaNoWriMo, I always call it Remo. Um, and I had it in book format and I never finished it because I couldn't get it there. I couldn't make it work in a book format, but but to have this massive epic dystopian adventure mixed in with these mythologies works really well for serial fiction. Um, and it gives the reader the chance to, uh, to just kind of go in multiple places and, and enjoy different characters doing different things, but then seeing it all come together in this really rewarding way. Excellent. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys. It was awesome being here. Our thanks today to Gage Greenwood for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you're a writer, we have a companion podcast, The Writer's Serial Fiction Show, where we talk with authors about their stories and discuss the elements of writing compelling serial fiction. We want to thank you for listening to The Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review... We read all of them and take your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on this episode on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. Finally, we now have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early and other great stuff. We have tons of things in the works. Check it out at Patreon.com slash Serial Fiction Show. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And that's a and wrap. That's a wrap. Okay, this oh, I was like, you brought up the road. I don't know. I don't know why we were talking about this this week, but we were talking about it with my real life writers group uh, in our little Discord channel. And my husband was like, if there was an apocalypse, it would be like the road, except I would be the wife. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you're just gonna die right away, and I'd be out like fighting cannibals. I'm like, that's probably accurate. <laughs> It's funny. I don't know if you remember, uh, like a couple years ago, there was, I guess it's still going on, but there's like a lot of memes about like the red flag bookshelves for men <laughs> that men have. And, and the road is always on there. And there's like three or four other books on there that I'm like, Oh, I love those books. I love not... the road. I don't <laughs> think that's a red flag at all. As a woman, I love the road. There's some beautiful prose in there, especially on that last page. He's talking so, a about like, seeing the history of the world in a musculature of a trout or, and I'm like, I could never write something this beautiful. <laughs> oh, it makes me bad. But anyways, Cormac McCarthy is a genius. Although I couldn't get through blood Meridian, but I may give that another try now that I'm older. So that was yeah, Cormac McCarthy, right? Was the... blood Meridian. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. Bunbury. Yeah, yeah. Found out he's from Rhode Island. I didn't know that. Oh, well. ah, there you go. Or That's actually, I'm not sure if he's from Rhode Island, but he lived in Rhode Island for he went to college here. I still need to finish that manuscript. I'm doing a masterwork on the road with another it. author. I know, but now I have to do another bit round. Oh, of is that the uh, the secret project you were talking about in this? Yes, in this? That's I don't a know. Secret pro- yes, it's it one is. Of them. It is the secret project. Is his nonfiction mm-hmm. uh, craft breakdown of the road? I thought you finished it. What happened in that? Um, we want to stick it closer to story or uh, scene rubrics, mm. and so there was like a couple questions on there that are just missing. I can't wait for that to come out. You must love the road too, because you've spent enough time with it now. I now have a very strong feeling on its theme and I (laughs) really like some pieces of the science in there because uh, there's, okay, I'm going to nerd out for a hot minute. Okay, nerd out. So you know how the whole time there are like no animals anywhere. Okay. At one point they find mushrooms. Mushrooms are indicative of like when radioactive events occur. It's usually the first thing that comes back up because it's like the first indication that life is coming back up. And I'm like, ah, there's the final proof that it was in fact a fallout and not a uh, meteor because those were the two potentials. And I was like, ah, I win. There you go. 